Do you have somebody in your life who loves books? Somebody who not only loves books, but always wants to share what she's reading with you, <laughs> thinking that you're going to love her latest selection. <laughs> and inevitably, you just can't stand that book that she suggested. That's us. <sighs> we both read a lot. Well, I don't even read. I listen. But we very rarely agree on what constitutes a good read. I enjoy books that build up new worlds, invite magic and mystery into our lives. Science fiction, fantasy, and sometimes a historical aspect of both rule. Hmm. Mm-hmm. I listen to a variety, but it's all grounded in reality. You can keep your elves and space operas. Welcome to our podcast. You're making me read what? Your hosts on this monthly podcast are myself, Jessica, and my colleague, Christine. We're librarians who get a thrill out of a great book, but usually can't stand what the other person is reading. We've each selected some of our all-time favorite books, and each month we'll alternate between the lists with the goal of persuading the other to enjoy a read she would have never picked up on her own. A lot of extra emphasis there. Never Maybe. Even if a book isn't entirely your style, it will definitely have some redeeming qualities to it. Right? You're not influencing in any way, are you? <laughs> it's too late. You've already read the book. <laughs> we definitely have to do a spoiler alert. Yes, indeedy. Yes, indeedy. Uh, now it's time for us to warn you that we're going to discuss the whole book, including the ending and any magical twists. So if you haven't yet read this month's book, Gods of Jade and Shadow by Sylvia Moreno-Garcia, then and you don't want us to spoil anything, please stop listening now and join us when you have decided to fully finish it. <laughs> Period. No option not to read it because this is a great book. I can, I, I can... I can feel the good vibes pouring off of you, which means that all you have to say is goodness and light and enthusiasm for this amazing read. Correct. No question mark, just period. Thank you for joining us. <laughs> I guess if we've already figured out where I am on this, there's no need for me to, you know. Too pushy? Was that a too pushy start? It was in enthusiastic. It was hopeful. Okay. Let me... Let me, before we even get started, just so that people have a little mm-hmm. little taste of the delicious magic to come. Wow. Yes. I am amping this one up. You are. I, I just reread it. I really enjoyed it. Yeah. Again. So um, Gods of Jade and Shadow is set in the Jazz Age. It's set in the 1920s in Mexico, specifically in the Yucatan. And it starts off in an old Mayan village whose name I cannot pronounce. And you listen to it, so you will likely have better uh, pronunciation. I can't pronounce it, so sorry. Sorry to let you down. Insert place name Yucatan Peninsula. Mayan Peninsula, yes. And it follows our protagonist, Cassiopeia Toon. Did I get her name right? Uh, Cassiopeia. Cassiopeia. Ah, so close enough. Uh, Who is a young lady. She's 18, I think, at the start Mm -hmm. of the book. And she is, mm, it's like a Cinderella deal, where Mm -hmm. she is taking care of her extended family after her father passes away, and she and her mother move in with her grandparents. That's not really sitting well with her. And when the rest of the family leaves one day, she's kind of doing chores, snooping a little bit, accidentally on purpose, opens this curio cabinet thing. Accidentally in the sense that the key falls into her hands Mm -hmm. and she can't help turning the lock and opening them. Yeah, it's weird how that happens sometimes Mm -hmm. in in fairy tale retakes (laughs) like this. So she opens this chest, like a chest Mm -hmm. at the base of the bed, and uh uh-oh, out pops the Mayan god of the dead. And his bones just click right into place. They do indeed. His name is Hunkame? Yes. Yeah. Oh, good. Got that one right. Hunkame. And he was the Mayan goddess of death. He was betrayed by his brother, the Kub Kame. Mm-hmm. And um, in cahoots with her grandfather, they jammed a skeleton into this little cabinet at the base of the bed. And there he has rested for about, I don't know, 50 years while yeah. his brother usurped his position of power in the Mayan underworld. 
So the majority of the book takes place on this adventure that um, Cassiopeia and Hunkame take traveling through Mexico and Texas to try and find his missing parts to put him back together. Oh, yeah. You got to you got to say what was lopped off. Oh, God. OK. Uh, they took one of his eyes. Mm-hmm. They had one of his ears. One of his ears. And then a hand or a, a finger. finger. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So they have to go find all these pieces. And a necklace. Yeah. And then at the end of the story, so like a there's a hunt. fight for the fate of the world and the Mayan underworld. How could you not have loved that? It was so amazing. <laughs> <laughs> I liked your version of it a lot. My my version was the version. Okay, a little bit about the author before you yeah. totally shred the wonderfulness that was this book. So, Sylvia Moreno Garcia, it's very funny if you read like her website, the way that she kind of um, describes herself. She says she is uh, Mexican by birth and Canadian by inclination. <laughs> That's awesome. And does she apologize for that? No, she's sorry. Not. <laughs> <laughs> um, and she's been writing for quite a long time now. And she writes a variety of things. So she does short stories. She's had, I think, a half a dozen books published, most of which are set in Mexico and are steeped in different types of folklore from the indigenous populations there. Um, I think her most well-known or popular book is Mexican Gothic, which is a horror story. And her new one is a retelling of The Isle of Dr. Moreau. So all kind of interesting refreshes on different fairy tales and native folklore with a really interesting fantasy overlay, usually at very specific historical points in Mexican history. Okay. I have no idea what to do with this piece, but she also writes chap books. Sorry, what? Chap, C-H-A-P, chap okay. books, like chap chappy. Okay. Yeah, I know, that's a callback from one of our very early yeah, podcasts. No, a chap book is like, it's like a little tiny pocket book. It's a shrinky size. It's like three or four inches okay. in diameter square. It's usually bound. Okay. Poetry, short huh. writings, little tiny thing, maybe 30 or 40 pages. Huh. She writes those too. I thought that. I had never heard of a chap book before, and I, I felt it up. very under-librarian educated. I feel like I should have known that. Yeah, I'm I'm feeling super embarrassed. Yeah. She's also a columnist for the Washington Post. Nice. Um, and she's and she, on NPR, too. She's on NPR, and she has won a ton of awards. So mm. I know that you don't care about sci-fi fantasy street cred, mm. but her books have been nominated and won Locus Awards, Nebula Awards. For some reason, this particular book won the British Fantasy Award. She is neither British nor is it set in England. <laughs> <laughs> Couldn't figure that out. Let let the string go after a little bit of digging. It kind of goes back to the last podcast where he wrote about Britain and had never, never been, been there. there. Yeah. yeah. Maybe we'll need to pick the next one. Like, who else has written never. about a country they have never been to and then was it awarded <laughs> a different award from a country that had nothing to do with the book that they talked about? Okay. That is a fabulous search uh, string that we have to figure out how to do using uh, Boolean? Boolean operators. I can't okay, even. I'm on it. Okay. I'm on it later. You, you super librarian, go figure that out. Also, <laughs> get me some more history and chat books. Um, so it's just a little bit about her background. She she fascinates me as an author and her process for the variety of things she does in here. Are you going to break my heart now? Oh, and it's tell my turn? me. No, I don't want okay. it to be, but I think I need to. St- <laughs> I've been talking really fast in an effort to shut you out of yeah. this particular portion of the conversation, but I need to take a breath now. Okay. So go for it. So I actually liked a lot of it. Woo! There was a lot I didn't like. Some of it was not her fault. Like the biggest thing I didn't like okay. was the narr- the reader. The oh, I okay. listened to it, and the reader was horrendous oh, and you know rough. how i try very hard 
to give like, oh, this one's so fun because mm-hmm. you get to hear a uh, Scottish brogue. Or, yes. oh, this one's so fun yep. because you get whatever. Mm. This, um, initially, I was hoping that it would be a great read because the reader must be bilingual, like native speaker, both Spanish and English. Okay. So she pronounced all of the Spanish stuff with ease and, you know, from my mm-hmm. Anglican ear, it seemed fine. Okay. Um, but she was really monotone. She didn't, oh. like, a really good reader will, you will know who's speaking before they're, um, before it, they're identified just because the reader will have a voice for sure. each character. And this young woman did not. And she, it, somebody, I read um, a couple of other people's opinions um, mm-hmm. last night, and they were saying she sounded like a bored high school kid reading a textbook. Oh, and that that's rough. That kind of was, and then somebody said, "I can't, I can't finish this book because the reader is so awful." Yeah. So, my advice is, if you're interested in the book, mm-hmm. read it. Don't listen to it. And the other thing that's that was super frustrating to me, um, Han Kame, mm-hmm. Hun Kame, um, was the the main protagonist, yes. um, or the king, second usurped king of the Mayan underworld. Yes, Hun Kame. His brother, his name was Vukub Kame. Yep. But somehow, and and they're spelled very differently. Mm-hmm. It's two syllables. Um, but somehow, when the narrator was pronouncing it, it was pronounced almost the same. Oh, that's rough. So okay. I couldn't figure out which brother we were talking about, yeah. and I was super confused. So that was again not the author's fault because sure. when you're reading it, you can see the difference yes. in the spelling, very and apparent. it's super easy. Um, so that was frustrating. Um, I also, you know me, I don't dig when the the trope was just a little too, like, it was too pathetic with uh, Cinderella. <laughs> she was too pathetic and petulant. Yep. And she was. She's supposed to be. She grows over the course of the book. caricature. And At he was too. Well, for most of the book. Mm. It's like the last 25 seconds that she really kind of, like, like makes the last leap. third of the book. I think that's generous, but okay. I'll <laughs> accept that. Um, so that doesn't, yeah. you know, I mean, I appreciate that she grew and he grew. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really appreciated a lot that the ending was not predictable. Yeah. And I'm you probably yeah. know by now, endings often frustrate me because I think authors do really weird things or they run out of steam or they yep. pull something in that's totally out of left field and yep. it doesn't map with the rest of the story. I thought this ending was fantastic. It was um, unexpected. Mm-hmm. It was Totally, I did not see it coming, but it made just as much sense as anything else. Yeah. And I think that was a really, really great way to wrap up the book. So I give her great props okay. for that in the creativity um, okay, aspect. Okay. Um, hmm. But there was a lot of repetition in the writing. Sure. <laughs> so so we just encapsulated what you expect and what I expect. I don't expect a lot of repetition. You're like, yeah, bring it. Yeah. I, it's good. It's it's a re-emphasis of things I'm already enjoying, so I'm really going to be into it. I am very disappointed that the speaker on your audiobook disrupted your enjoyment of this book. Yeah. So I recommend that you take this on your next beach vacation or mountain vacation or really just a weekend off of work and read the print version because it's, it's, it's so good, right? So a lot of the things that I wrote in here, part of what I enjoy the most about this – I am not very knowledgeable about either the history of Mexico right. or traditional folklore tales. Right. And she pulled a lot of the pieces of the storyline that she then reimagined from 
a Mayan text that was translated by Franciscan monks. I had no idea that Franciscan monks were in Mexico. Apparently they were. Good for them. Or actually bad bad, bad for the for native them. populations, yeah. but good for them, I guess, at that point. And it was called, and I'm going to totally mess this up. I think it was called the Pop, Popov Vool. Anyways, it was this actual story that ended up being translated and preserved belong, beyond oral folklore that I had never heard of this particular story of these two symmetrical brothers. Mm-hmm. So like uh, Hunkame and Vukubkame are like a mirror image of each other. Mm-hmm. And that that is really um, specific to their native stories around their underworld, that there's meant to be a balance. Mm-hmm. And even the graphic descriptions of that space, Zabalba, the underworld, were fascinating to me. So like I found myself thinking about the many different types of traditions across the world that speak about uh, people or creatures in positions of power, Mm -hmm. what life is like after death, how you go along these journeys to reach adulthood. So I may have over-extrapolated in reading Cassiopeia's story because I didn't really read her as a a one-note character. Mm -hmm. I kept incorporating the pieces of this folklore along the way and building it up underneath her storyline to kind of move her along. And I think one of my favorite things about this book, like you said, was the ending, Mm -hmm. that so much of the main storyline was this journey. It was like a road trip. Right. Like with a literal car that they're drag racing down a desert at one point, (laughs) a 1920s car um, with a demon because, you know, that's the way. You have to have a demon. Have a leva. I have a demon here. Mm -hmm. Um, But so much of the storyline was about personal growth and what humanity is because Cassiopeia, Cassiopeia, excuse me, pricked her finger on the bone shard at the start, which is how Hunkame came back. But over the course of the book, he is sucking the life out of her to rejuvenate himself, and they can't figure out a way to get past it until he can take back his kingdom. And so you watch the two of them change throughout the course of this book as one and then the other is reflecting different versions of humanity, whether Mm -hmm. or not you are human or whether or not you're not. And the end of the book is all about forgiveness yeah. and acceptance in a way that a lot of these stories aren't. So you get to the end of the book and Hunkame and Vukubkame are fighting and Hunkame is ready to like deal a death blow. Right. And he has had such an opportunity to feel the humanity of the general human populace that instead of doing that, he forgives his brother. Right. And they are able to embark upon kind of a new world order where they're not going back to traditional Mayan blood sacrifices, which is great, but they're trying to be remembered by the people who no longer remember them. Right. I thought that was amazing. And um, Cassiopeia was able to do the same with her her cousin, uh, Martin, who was her main conflict along the way. He's the scion of their family house. He has aligned himself the same way his grandfather did. He's been trying to stop her this whole time. Right. And when she makes her final chess move along this pathway they're able to kind of reconcile at the end as well. It doesn't always have to end in this sad heartache that we can find pathways through our humanity to to be kind to one another, even if you don't start out that way. I loved that that's how this story wrapped up. I think I agree with everything you just said. I think that um, having the story be about forgiveness instead of retribution was great. And I I particularly loved um, the mechanism of the bone shard. Um, So just to flesh that out a little bit. Did you see what I did there? Flesh it out. Love it. Yeah. Um, so when she pricks her finger with this piece of bone, mm-hmm. 
it starts this parasitic relationship where he is literally drawing on her life and she's getting weaker and weaker as they move along this, like, whatever they're doing, like. Road trip. Yep. Yep. Um, And (laughs) and they both know it. Yeah. And they're tied together. They can't. They they li- literally can't be physically separated from each other well. because there's this force. And I thought that that was a really interesting and well imagined um, mechanism for mm-hmm. keeping them together and having the story go. Like I, sometimes that kind of stuff sure. makes me roll my eyes, and I'm like, oh my god. I thought that was very <laughs> successful, very interesting, believable, all that kind of stuff. As much as anything in the story was believable. sure, yes. sure. Yeah. Um, I, so I enjoyed that a lot. Um, I just found like there were <laughs> I don't remember the drag race in the desert. Like I <gasps> there's just so much that I just I zoned out. Oh. I just wasn't that interested. It it didn't hold my attention. I'm so oh. sorry. I, it hurts me I know. in so many ways. I'm but a failure. I, no, you're not. We each get to interpret a book in our own ways. And I know you're joking, <laughs> but I am reassuring all of our listeners out there. As much as Christine and I joke and bicker back and forth. Really, every book doesn't have to be your book. I connected really strongly to this one yeah. enough that I don't like horror stories. Right. I don't like to feel scared. I don't appreciate that adrenaline rush. I would much rather never have to be scared. That would be fine. But I really want to read Mexican Gothic yeah. because I like her writing scowl. I think it's as, as, as much as you said that there's some repetition in there. I like when it repeats and it reassures a specific central storyline. Okay. I'm good with that. Okay. And I like her character's. And I like kind of the quippy, almost sarcastic mm-hmm. moments in there. Mm-hmm. So I want to see what else she does. Yeah. So I am willing to, I don't I think I might need to be wrapped in like a Snuggie when I read it, mm-hmm. maybe with some hot cocoa. So I'm going to have those at the ready, and then I'll be willing to, to give this a try. Will but it, that doesn't mean you're going to, and that's okay. Will it bother you when you find out that the actual translation of the real title was Men Who Hate Women? I will be very frustrated. <laughs> I do not appreciate that particular callback to your weird book that you made us read that everyone read at some Steve point in Larson, time. Steve Larson, Girl with a Dragon Tattoo. <sighs> yeah, you're still angry about that. I I'm it. not angry. I'm disappointed. <laughs> oh, thanks, Mom. <laughs> no, but really, that's the whole point. There are tens and hundreds of thousands of books written and published every year. Right. We're never going to be able to read them all, right. even though it would be really fun to try. Right. So if only someone would pay us to do that, people do not pay librarians to just sit around and read books. That is true. It's very sad. Yeah, we just do it on our own time because we love them so much. But it's okay that this wasn't exactly the right fit for you, even though I desperately wanted to be very similar to The House in the Cerulean Sea, uh-huh. which you should have enjoyed. Right. Yes, I... I wish I could just crawl into your head and, like, control your mouth movements for that book because it was so <laughs> good and you should have liked it more. So but can I tell you one other thing that I liked about this? Yes. Um, the whole thing with the bracelet. So mm-hmm. he's going to buy a bribe for mm-hmm. this. So he's collecting his body parts. His, Correct. It's a scavenger hunt for his body parts and a necklace. Sure. When and, when when his brother uh, lopped con- his head off. Lopped his head off and stuck his pieces in this chest trunk. Mm -hmm. They hid various pieces of him in other parts of their domain so that if he ever did come back, it would be very, very hard for him to come back and try and reclaim his throne. Because he needed all of his pieces to to get all of his power consolidated. to go back down. Yeah. Yeah. So so they're on this body part scavenger hunt. Correct. And the first one... the best library program ever. (laughs) Ew. Um... (laughs) So maybe Halloween. <laughs> yeah. Um, so the first place they go, um, he needs to bribe the person that he knows yeah. or assumes yeah. has is his ear, I believe. 
I think, yeah, I think that was their first one. And he was trying to bribe because I can't remember his name. And I didn't write down, so that's yeah. not helpful. Um, Demon. Oh, the his name was Lorraine, but yes. Um, but they're going to this other woman who used to be human. Yes. And she's a seductress, mm-hmm. and so and she's always perfectly quaffed and turned out, and you know, beautiful and seductive. Mm-hmm. And so he buys her a necklace. Mm-hmm. And while they're in the jewelry store, um, Cassiopeia sees a bracelet or I don't even I don't remember because I was probably glossed over that mm. um, but anyway he ends up buying her a bracelet yep. and he's like yeah it doesn't matter because I don't have money I just make rocks into money so it's yeah. of no value to him he doesn't care yep. and so he doesn't think it's a big deal at all but she's never had anything of value in her life and mm-hmm. so this is a big deal to her that she's got this bracelet and she feels a little weird about it Definitely. she's uncomfortable she's unmarried young lady in the 1920s yep, yep. taking a, a, an expensive gift from an unmarried man yep. who who yes is a god and mm-hmm. all that baggage and whatever yep. so but at the end of the i almost said movie at the end of the book <laughs> um when she's on the quest on yeah. the to follow the black road yep. to the emerald city but it's not the emerald city but. yeah so in the mayan underworld of zabalba which i am sure i'm mispronouncing when you land there, you have to follow this road, this black road, on a journey to get to the end castle. Jade the castle. Jade, Jade Castle. Jade City. Something. Yeah, yeah. So she's doing that, and mm-hmm. she's racing Martine, her mm-hmm. brother, and whoever gets Cousin. their... F- oh, so, yes. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, wh- whoever gets their first wins, and the other one gets their head lopped off for, yep. you know, big trouble. It's, yep. It's, You're out. It's a very bad ending for the person who gets their second. Mm-hmm. Um, so high pressure. And she first runs into this really stupid bat, which was super annoying and dumb and had no value, no value added, just it dumb. It is part of the traditional story. You've got to just let go of your inhibitions on this one and accept that this is not your folklore history. Oh, you just go with it. If it's folklore, I'm more interested. No. I thought this was just no. random weirdness. He was a that... bat that lives down there that you have to battle to get to the Jade City. Okay. So. Fine, fine, fine. You didn't like the big bat. she gets... To the two-headed snake. Snake, yes. And they decide that they want her bracelet. bracelet. And there's a line in here that made me laugh because it was like, because everyone knows snakes love jewelry. Uh-huh. It's like, oh, right. We all know that. I, I temporarily had forgotten how into jewelry snakes are. They're but... like crows. Anything shiny. Right. So like the bat I looked up. And okay. that is part of the, the, the folklore of the background for the story. Then I like it more. I, I just d- thought it was a random thing. No, the bat is a, a thing. Okay. The snakes I did look up, maybe for the same reason, because I didn't yeah. I didn't want to know if Don't that care. was part of it. But yeah. so I actually really like, she's, now she's got this internal struggle. Mm-hmm. He, she knows at this point in the story yeah. that she's never going to see, see Hankame again. Yeah. And so all she has left of him are her memories and this bracelet. Yep. And so now she has to decide the snake wants her bracelet mm. and she's not even sure it's really going to help her win this battle yeah and so she's got this you know pretty serious uh struggle that she has to make her mind up in a nanosecond yeah and she does and that i thought was an effective interesting like yeah. you know that's your 25 seconds to the end of character growth yeah i one of the things i appreciated about the story not only was the aspect of forgiveness at the end unexpected, but when you start off with kind of a Cinderella tale, yep. you expect that you're going to have a happy ending. Right. <clears throat> and throughout the story, as um, Hunkame and Cassiopeia are trading humanity back and forth and getting closer, it's kind of a love story. Yeah. You know, they're, they're kind of getting closer together. 
But you also know, like, the ending here, unless they work some real finagling, right. is not going to be great. Right. And they didn't, the author didn't try and do that. Yep. She let it play out the way it needed to. He yep. had to stay down there. Yep. And she had to go back up. And instead of trying to force a, a happily ever after, an HEA ending on this, right. this is not a romance. Nope. This is a, a, a fantasy with a historical folklore aspect to it. Right. At the end of the story, Cassiopeia is, Cassiopeia, I'm going to get that right by the That's end of fine. this. That's fine. Gets in the car with her demon friend. Right. Luray? Uh, Luray. Luray. Um, and she learns to drive a car. Because that was one of the goals she had at the beginning of this journey that she took. And she is sad that she's not going to get to have her happy ending with this god creature that she has been on this journey with. But also really realistic that she is going to go out and live. And one of the reviews I read about this book was talking about um, the importance in this story of sharing how important a well-loved life is. Mm -hmm. And I really liked that, too, because part of the storyline was, okay, the grandfather... Um, spent his whole life guarding this chest. Yeah. And he amassed his little kingdom there, but he didn't go anywhere. Right. And his scion, uh, the cousin, Martine, was going to be content staying in this small town and doing the same thing. But having but she earned wanted, nothing. Yeah, but she wanted to go and yeah. do and be more than the structures were going to allow her to do there. Seeing both her story and his as he came back to totality as he bought and stole and stole the rest of his body parts. Right. It was just really interesting between that and kind of the humility aspect of it. I really enjoyed it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I did like the that they both had these internal struggles of because he did say, hey, look, I could be sort of human mm-hmm. and we could make this arrangement. Yep. And he kind of makes this pitch of and then we could be together because I really dig you. And she's like, no, that's not what this is about. This is not nope. going to work, and you're not going to be happy, yep. and I'm not going to be happy. And, you know, just like you said, it, it wasn't predictable. It wasn't a romance. No. And I have no objection to a romance, but that's not what this was. Nope. And um, I thought it was tied up very neatly. Well, I'm still very sad that the audio narrator didn't give you a better shot at, like, 100% loving this book. Well, but can't have them all. I have heard tell that our book next month is a romance. It is. Tell me more. Okay. So next (laughs) month, we're going to read The No-Show by Beth O'Leary. And this is a little bit mean of me to choose this book because it has a holds list. Ah. So um, if anybody wanted to read with us, it's going to be tough for them to get the book. Um, Beth O'Leary is a a contemporary um, romance author. (laughs) And um, this is set in the UK, I think. Yes. In a couple of different locations in the UK. Yeah. And um, I there's <laughs> I won't spoil anything. I just think it's a, an interesting um, book about uh, a couple of three women mm-hmm. who have a date with a guy who they find out um, is the same guy that doesn't show up on Valentine's Day for them. Yep, he was a no show. He was a no show. As so the title implies, it it basically just straight out tells you there's no implication it's it's a pretty direct Uh, so the no show by beth o'leary is what i'm going to ask you to read next time i look forward to it i hazard a guess that we'll both enjoy that book (laughs) i may have already read it (laughs) separate from this podcast request Hmm. (laughs) well i look forward to talking about it with you Thank you for joining us on You're Making Me Read What? Even if this book wasn't your cup of tea, there are millions more where that came from. And don't forget, you can always grab these books and lots more at your local library. Join us next month when we will be discussing The No Show by Beth O'Leary. Thank you so much and keep on reading.